sex before marriage and then talk having uh, sexual intimacy with somebody outside of their marriage. Um, if you are a dating couple, and most of our dating couples are in a, a second service, but we have some here. Uh, but if you are a dating couple and uh, you find yourself uh, sexually aroused with your, uh, when you're out on a date with your partner, let me tell you that is absolutely normal. Uh, now, what you do with that is a different story, but the fact that um, you feel that, that you uh, know that, um, is no surprise and no sin. Um, there's, a, uh, there's, there's a time period there where we are getting ready for marriage, and that's a kind of a normal a part of thing. The culture, however, would tell us that if we have inclinations, if we have longings, that we should express them. Why else would we have them? And it's interesting as the, um, the voices of the, uh, you know, kind of the uh, culture and really the world, not just our culture, as the voices um, uh, shout out their message, how easily or how readily or how um, uh, convincingly those voices are shaping even Christian minds. And so, for example, just a couple of years ago, Christian Mingle, one of the online Christian dating services, took a survey of thousands of their subscribers. These would be mostly people who identify as Christian. And said, um, how many of you think it's okay for you to be sexually intimate with a, a dating partner or even someone that you casually hook up with for sex? 61%. Professing Christian singles said, no problem. In fact, when asked this question, how many of you are reserving your um, bodies and your sexuality for a future spouse? Only 11% of them said, that's me. Nine in 10 said, not going to do it. One of the things that we said at the outset of this series is that we want to reclaim a biblical worldview of this great gift that God has given humanity. Um, now we talk about people who are unfaithful in their marriage relationship. Would you believe that <clears throat> numerous studies have confirmed this, this uh, data is not just one survey, but numerous studies have said this is uh, about just a little over a third of all American marriages have one or two partners that have admitted cheating on their spouses. Over a third of all American marriages. No wonder marriage is so jeopardized in our culture. And um, <laughs> years ago, I did an internship at a church. And I remember the day I was back in, well, it was a long time ago. Uh, my pastor and I were talking, and uh, he said, this is a church of several hundred and he said, right now, in our church, there are nine couples that are reeling with the fallout of an affair right now. Eight percent of the church. Uh, probably something that we shouldn't think is a rarity anymore, and even in the church. 20, uh, 2015, a hack group of hackers hacked into the um, server of the uh, online cheating site, um, Ashley Madison, probably heard about this. 
And they revealed all of the names. They put it out there on the web. All of the names of the subscribers. Largest cheating site there is based in Canada. How many subscribers do you think they had? 37 million. Million. Uh, This is a little interesting um, tidbit. 86% of those subscribers were male. Only 14% female. Some of those names that got put out on the web were the names of Christian pastors and other Christian leaders. What have we done with the good gift God has given us? What have we done? All right. We're going to pray, and then we're going to look at a number of scriptures, and we're going to talk about these two areas. Uh, titled the message today, Playing House. If you've been here the last couple weeks, you know we're using the house as kind of a metaphor or an, the image of the gift of sexuality that God gives a husband and a wife in their marriage. Uh, on the one hand, it's a fort. Remember, God's an engineer, so he constructs things. He's made this into a fort that keeps everybody else out. He's also made it into a fountain that nourishes the two people that are inside of that. So let's pray and ask for God's help and then dive in. Um, Father, we do need your help. Uh, Truth be told, both as parents and as the church, we have done a less than good job of speaking about something that everybody seems to think about a lot. We have done a less than adequate job of reveling in the goodness of this gift. We have uh, instead shouted to our children and to each other, it's a, it's a bad thing. It's a, a steer clear of it. It's, it's bad, it's bad, it's bad. And then we get to our marriages and we don't know what to do with something that we've been told for so long about that it's bad. Forgive us for that, Lord. Forgive us for thinking that you somehow regret what you've given to us. Forgive us for not cherishing the goodness of the sexual relationship in the, in the marriage context, not cherishing it by not paying enough attention to it, not working on it to maximize it, to, to leaving doors open instead of having the walls cl- tightly closed in around us, to leave the doors open so that these little foxes can get in and spoil the vines. Forgive us, Lord. And, and maybe in these days, remind us that in our... Um, in our desire to um, do good with it, in a, in, a, in a desire to keep our children from the disaster that comes from um, uh, exploiting it in ways it was never meant to be exploited, um, that we've just not always done the best with it. And renew our minds with an understanding that it is something worth celebrating. It is something worth maximizing. It is something worth telling our children about. You just wait. There's something glorious ahead for most of you. In the context in which God has given it to humanity. This morning, Lord, help me to contribute to the positive message and also to warn the truth of the negative message, to bring warning in that, and to see what, what, what is it that not just um, 
uh, draws us off course in this area. But what lies beneath that draws us off course? What is it that we're really after when we go uh, on pathways that you never meant us to go on? I pray for people that might be here this morning who um, maybe they're uh, sexually active with their boyfriend or girlfriend. Maybe they're living an affair that nobody knows about. I pray for the Spirit of God to convict this morning as well as offer them hope. Speak, Lord. Speak to all of us. In Jesus' name, amen. I want to read a verse out of Hebrews chapter 13 before we move on. And this is, um, we're going to look at a number of passages this morning. No one is uh, one we're going to be preoccupied with. Just kind of lay some uh, foundations, especially this one would be kind of foundational for us. Hebrews chapter 13 verse 4. Give honor to marriage and remain faithful to one another in marriage. God will surely judge people who are immoral and those who commit Adultery. There is a, 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 a reminder of how glorious marriage and the sexual relationship uh, is meant to be in marriage, but also a warning here that God's going to judge those who are moral and those who commit adultery. Those words, uh, immoral and adultery, are different words. The one speaks about a sexual misconduct uh, by a husband or wife, and the other in sexual misconduct by someone outside of the, uh, of the marriage bond. I'll tell you a story about Jason and Allison. These are college graduates. Allison is 23. Jason is 25. Uh, they both have good jobs. Uh, they both have their own apartments, buy their own health insurance. They're independent adults. Uh, they've been dating for about a year and a half, both of them professing Christians, uh, sleeping together for the last four months. If you would set um, them down individually and you would talk to Allison and ask her, what are your plans as far as marriage? She would say, we're probably going to get married. Um, If you'd ask her when, she would say probably 12 to 18 months. If you'd sit Jason down and ask him the same question, he'd say, yeah, we're probably going to get married. And if you ask him when, he would say three to four years. Both of them thinking once they have more of their college debt paid off that they might pursue marriage at uh, some point. Now, it's interesting. They waited uh, over a year before they became sexually intimate. National average in America says that men um, are ready to be sexually intimate about date five. And that women are prepared to be sexually intimate about date nine. And so really, you can look at somebody like uh, a couple like Jason and Allison and say, wow, they really uh, showed a lot of patience. They exercised a lot of uh, self discipline. The culture, those statistics uh, in the dating relationship and when, when you move to sexual relationship, um, those statistics reflect a widespread view in the culture that uh, this is normal in your dating relationship. And why almost three quarters of the millennial generation says that um, you're going to move into in together at some point, and that's a good thing. Not just, um, this is uh, something that some people do, this is a good thing. I don't know if you've seen the latest Chevy commercial um, uh, promoting their crossover, their small crossovers um, slash SUVs. 
They have three vehicles there, the, che- the Chevy Trax, the Equinox, and the Traverse. And in the commercial, they, they have a different couple that the salesman of these vehicles is introducing, um, introducing a vehicle to them. All of the dating couples, in fact, the first couple he uh, talks to, he says, I understand you've just begun dating. And they say yes. And he goes over to the tracks and he says, this w- would be a great vehicle for the two of you when you move in together. And then he goes to the Equinox, and now he has a different couple who have just started dating. And he says, this would be a great vehicle for you when you have your first child. And then a different couple, he takes over to the Traverse, and he goes, this would be a great vehicle for you when you have five children, two dogs, and a cat. Did you notice anything missing in that? We went from living together to having a child to having a bunch of kids. Marriage was never mentioned do you, do you see what is happening in the very air that we breathe to marriage? And isn't it interesting that the gift that God has given to be enjoyed and indulged in in marriage has been extracted from marriage, kept, and marriage discarded? It's interesting that Jason is the one in the relationship with Allison, who said, can we take our relationship to the next level? And no, he didn't mean marriage. He meant what they started four months ago. Many voices in our culture are saying things like this. Everyone does it these days. After all, it's just biological. It's just mechanical. It's just natural. These voices are saying, we know now better than to believe that something normal like sexual intercourse, even before marriage, is going to lead to possibly bad results down the pike. For years, um, religious groups, Christian groups, uh, even non-Christian groups, have been warning that if you take sex outside of marriage, you open yourself to a whole host of vulnerabilities. Everything from increased possibilities of STDs, uh, a greater likelihood of divorce down the road should you marry, um, the prospect of having a solo pregnancy and having to raise a child on your own, uh, the greater prospects for depression, on and on and on. And so now the the argument is those things, we, we know better than to think that something like this that is so natural is going to expose uh, us to something, one of these horrific prospects. It's interesting <clears throat> that those kinds of statistics are still out there and they're not just being set forth by religious groups, secular groups as well. The third thing that you're going to hear from these popular voices is that sex is so important, which I would say amen to. But they say sex is so important that you need to see whether or not you're going to be sexually compatible before you get married. I remember the very first couple uh, after I became a pastor, the very first couple that I was uh, doing premarital counseling with, not believers, That was the last time I did that. Um, 
I said, well, here's the deal. I found, and they were living together. I said, here's the deal. I will uh, do your premarital counseling and officiate at your uh, wedding if you agree to uh, separate. And the woman said this to me. She said, oh, but our sexual relationship is so important. And I said, amen. (laughs) It's important, so important that you need to separate now and preserve that for the day when you are married. Interestingly enough, they, they did decide to do that. Sexual relationship is so important. Now, here's the, let me just share with you the fly in the ointment of the idea that our sex relationship is so important that we find out whether or not we're compatible. If you're dating, I can almost guarantee that you are not sexually compatible with the person you're dating by the world's definition of that. Because what they mean is you have the same kind of sex drive, the same kind of interest in the variations and so forth. And I could tell you that in your dating relationship, because one of you wants to keep the other, you're not compatible, but you're going to fake it. Remember last week we talked about the different testosterone levels that uh, mark the average male and the average female. So uh, a guy has anywhere from three to seven times as much testosterone as a woman on up to as much as 20 times as much as she has. And testosterone is the main sex hormone in both the male and the female body. And so if you expect to get somebody with your, who is, has the same kind of drive as you, if you get that person, everybody else you know hates you because they didn't get somebody like that. So sexual compatibility, this kind of, uh, we're going to live together for six months, a year, two years, and try to find out if we're compatible. You're not going to find that out act- actually until after you're married. And like, now I have him, now I have her, now I can be who I really am, who I really always was. And the last thing these popular voices tell us is do what feels good. Do what feels good. And there is a subtle message that is conveyed when religion is brought into the topic. And that is this idea, certainly God doesn't want you to feel good. Listen, do you know where that comes from? Do you know where that message comes from? We'll see if this rings any bells. Did God really say, you must not eat from that particular tree? Did God really say? God doesn't want you to be happy. God doesn't want you to receive and enjoy pleasure. God does not have your best interests at heart. Where does that come from? Here's what God says. And you can look up on the screen um, unless you have the NIV. I want to read a verse. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 3. And the reason I'm using the NIV, I, the wording in there, it hits us between the eyes in our day and age in a way that pretty much none of the other translations do, including the most literal ones. The most literal ones say, Uh, Among you, sexual immorality must not even be named. 
This is what it says in the NIV. I think. Do you have it there? There we go. Uh, I'm not sure. That's, that's not the NIV. All right. Uh, um, I'll tell you what it says. The NIV says, among you, there must not even be a hint of sexual immorality. Among you, there must not even be a hint of sexual immorality, impurity, or greed. Such things have no place among you. Among you, there must not even be a hint. This is what God says. And how many of us have been on the internet, and we're not looking at really bad stuff, but we look at stuff that kind of opens the door to the bad stuff. And we, as Pastor Brand was talking the other Sunday, and we make a decision right here to go here. And that makes it, and then we get there, and then we make another decision to go from here to here. And then we make another decision here to go from here to here. Among you, there must not even be a hint of sexual immorality because these are improper for God's holy people. Now, why would God say something like that? Is he indeed anti-pleasure? Is he worried about you risking something? Going back to the statistics that say those who uh, sleep together, those who live together are more vulnerable, this, that, and the other thing. Uh, Those stats are out there and they're true stats. But after all, God, it's not as if God tells us, uh, never tells us to do anything that's risky. I mean, I mean, think about the, um, the risk of having a child. Now, in this country, when uh, somebody gets pregnant, having a child, we don't think of that as a risk anymore. But a hundred years ago, pretty much everywhere in the world, it was a risk for a woman to have a child. It put her at risk. It put the child at risk. It's not as if God's not calling us to do risky things. I'm not sure that's a great argument. But listen to this. This is really the point I want to drive home this morning. Jesus died and rose again for something far greater than simply giving our nerve endings a fourth of July. Jesus died and rose again for something far greater than a physical thrill. He died so that he could bring you to his father and make his father your father. He died so that you could have your eyes and so that I could have my eyes coaxed away from ourselves and onto him. He died to set us free from the slavery of worshiping earthly pleasure so that we could worship him who offers us eternal pleasure. It's interesting that as we grow older, our sex drives diminish to some degree, more with some, less with others. But it's interesting as we get closer and closer to eternal life, the pleasures that meant so much in this life seem to lose more and more of their luster. It's interesting that those who have made a boatload of money as they age see it for what it is more and more clearly. I invested in the wrong thing in life. You see, Satan is fundamentally a liar and a deceiver. 
And he is behind the popular voices that tell us, this is what you want. You've got to have this. And then when the bottom falls out, he's nowhere to be found. Nowhere to be found. And so if you are a dating couple and you're sexually active, I want to tell you, not just stop doing it. That is a God's call on your life. Repent. But that's not the end of the call. The end of the call is seek that which will give you enduring pleasure. Let's talk a bit about adultery. Back in 1997, Leanne Rimes redid a, a song that was written by Debbie Boone, Grammy Award-winning song, late 70s, called You Light Up My Life. How many of you old enough to remember this? You light up my life. And the lyrics went like this. Because you light up my life, you give me hope to carry on. You light up my days and fill my nights with song. Say it with me. It can't be wrong because it feels so right. And all of a sudden, we are introduced not just to a lover situation, but an illicit lover situation. It can't be wrong when it feels so right because you light up my life. Last year in the UK, they did a survey of 5,000 men and women who are having affairs or who had affairs. And they asked them why. And it's interesting how similar the lists were between both the men and the women. Both men and women, both men and women said uh, the lack of emotional intimacy in their own marriage, the lack of communication in their own marriage, fatigue, that's interesting. And then the variations uh, between the men and women went like this. Um, one person having a greater desire for sex than their a spouse, the other person, another person having less desire uh, than their spouse. Also, sexual abuse from the past came into play, which is always interesting because I, I've seen this before, that people have affairs who have difficulty having sex relationships with their spouse because of past sexual abuse, um, but are, go outside of their marriage relationship for that for sexual intimacy. And then uh, also stress. This was primarily from the men. And then just a, a lack of sexual interest uh, with the spouse. In other words, I, I'm not sexually attracted to you anymore. And so I'm looking for that outside. Now what's interesting is people who cheat on their mates... Uh, do cheat for pleasure, but it's usually not of the sexual kind. Uh, this, is, this is across the board. Psychologists agree that uh, having an affair is not primarily about sex. Therapist uh, Scott Gornto in Dallas says that there are three, three basic motivations in these cheaters' lives. One, they end up falling in love with a fantasy of the other person. They end up falling in love not with the other person, but with a fantasy of the other person. And so they, you know, they, they know all about their wife or they know all about their husband and um, there's, there, there's no imagination left. But with this other person that they meet at work. And by the way, um, 
vast number of affairs begin with somebody at work. You might want to tuck that away in your mind. 10% of affairs start online. 40% of them move to the real thing. But we fall in love, people fall in love with a fantasy of the other person. This is the reason why so many people who end up having affairs and then um, uh, divorce their spouse and either move in with or marry the person of their affairs, why so many of those relationships don't last. Why? Because they were founded on a fantasy. And once you move in with the other person, you live with them, the fantasy goes away. You now know who they really are, and you're not sure you like them as much anymore. Second motivation is that the person longs for external validation. The person longs for external validation. In other words, they want their partner to give them validation as a person, as a lover, as a wife, as a husband, as a cook, as a uh, provider. And when they don't get that at home, they start looking for it elsewhere. And lastly, they are intoxicated by the feeling of each new experience. They are intoxicated by the feeling of each new experience. You have uh, chemicals that your brain secretes. And there's a certain chemical that's secreted every time you have a new experience. Dopamine. Serotonin comes into play there too. But dopamine really is pumped out when you have new experiences. And when you have this woman, this man on the side, the, the newness of that is just Well, at some point, no one can keep that newness up for you. It's going to stop being new. And the thrill is going to go. And then what are you going to do? Russell Moore, who's a um, leader in the Southern Baptist Convention, a pastor many years, worked with hundreds of unfaithful couples. He says this, Adultery is usually an identity problem where one expects a spouse or a dating partner to meet all their needs, all their wants. And if they don't, I'll look for someone who will. The lie, the lie, the lie, the lie that the enemy tells us. You remember that quote I gave you the first week we started on this series? It was from a novel back in the mid-20th century by Bruce Marshall entitled The World, the Flesh, and Father Smith. He said, the young man who rings the bell at the brothel is unconsciously looking for God. And I remember kind of eyebrows going up when I shared that the first time. The young man who rings the bell at the brothel, he's looking for a prostitute, is unconsciously looking for God. And I want to argue that the same thing is true of the dating couple sleeping together. The same thing is true of the philandering husband or wife. They are looking, they are on a quest for pleasure that lasts. Sex is only one piece of it. They are on a quest for pleasure that's la- that lasts. If you're married, that's true of you too. That's true of me. The job that you have is part of your quest for pleasure that lasts. The things that you do on the weekend, the places that you go, you are partly on a quest for pleasure that lasts. And here's what we do with people in our lives, especially our lovers. We're, we're, we're asking this of them. Provide, of them. provide me with my self-esteem. Provide me with my emotional longings. Provide me with intellectual stimulation. Provide me with conversation. Agree with me about everything. 
and give me physical affection. Provide me with pleasure that lasts. And listen, there is not one person. I don't care if you're married to them. I don't care if you're sleeping with them. I don't care if you're dating, with them, dating them. I don't care if they don't know you exist, but you have your eye on them. We're asking them for pleasure that lasts, and no one person can do that. They're not able to. There is only one person that can do that. And that's God. Only one person who can meet all your genuine needs in your life. The wants in your life. And that's God. Why is it that a couple like John and Betty Stam married go to China in a very dangerous and unstable environment, have a little baby, three months old. They get captured by communist guerrillas, imprisoned. Betty is able to hide her little Helen so that the soldiers can't find her. When they come for John and Betty the next morning, they take this missionary couple out into the streets and behead them. Why would a man and a woman go into an environment like that knowing how dangerous it is both to them and to their family? Why? In other words, if, if, pleasure, is, if pleasure is rooted in, starts and stops with things like physical affection, sexuality, um, prosperity, plenty to eat, Lots of good friends, lots of vacations, lots of timeshares, lots of money. And if pleasure is really all about those things, then why would people do something like this? Why would a Nigerian woman by the name of Rebecca Dali dedicate her life to rescuing women and children? from terrorists and helping them put their lives back together despite the fact that those same terrorists because of her notoriety know about her and threaten her why would she do that give herself to this why does a a single man or a single woman still in this modern era choose not to indulge in sex and preserve it for a prospective me. Why do some husbands and wives not cheat on each other? Okay, so maybe 35% do cheat in America. That means over 60% don't. Why? You see, the, the fight for sexual purity is not just a fight against something, sin, but it is a fight for something. And we're going to close with these verses in Hebrews chapter 11, beginning verse 24. And I skipped a scripture passage here this morning. We don't have time to cover it. Hebrews chapter 11, beginning of verse 24. It was by faith that Moses, when he grew up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. He chose to share the oppression of God's people instead of enjoying the fleeting pleasures of sin. He thought it was better to suffer for the sake of Christ. Isn't that interesting? 
Moses lived 1,500 years before Jesus was born in Bethlehem. And yet, the writer here says that he thought, Moses thought it was better to suffer for the sake of Christ than to own the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking ahead to his great reward. In other words, Moses had it figured out that the pleasures of Christ were far superior than the pleasures of being known as a prince, the pleasures of being, uh, having access to all the treasures of Egypt. He was looking ahead to a different kind of pleasure. And brothers and sisters, you who follow Jesus Christ, who serve him, and yet who are bombarded with a, a sexual world that my parents knew nothing about, where is it that you are going to put your eyesight on and say, that's where I want to find my pleasure? Who is it do you think that is going to offer you the most soul-satisfying and even ultimately physically satisfying pleasure? Another person or the God who gave himself for you? Let's pray. Father, we pray that as servants of Jesus Christ that we would uh, once again corral this good gift in the context in which, for which you've given it. And that we might be missionaries to our culture, not just about, not just about uh, salvation for the hereafter, but salvation here that not only rescues us from hell, but rescues us from a self-serving, preoccupational pleasure that won't last, can't last, and never delivers on all that it promises to. Thanks for Jesus. And this morning as we celebrate communion, remind us of just how generous you are with your children. In Jesus' name.